Well, good evening. Glad you've joined us for our Wednesday night uh, devotion, Bible study time, and uh, also our, our, our weekly prayer time. Um, we are trying to get ourselves back on some regular scheduling. We're back in worship services on Sunday morning now, and uh, we're able to accommodate uh, everybody in one service, and we we'll hope that you're joining us for that. Uh, we'll be reintroducing other programming, Sunday school, and those kinds of things as as the uh, conditions allow. So bear with us uh, and hope that, that you're beginning to feel a sense of normalcy again. Uh, we are continuing in our study of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're studying the Beatitudes. And um, last week we began with, with the first Beatitude, uh, and it was blessed are the poor in spirit. Today we're beginning uh, Beatitude number two, and uh, it is, uh, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So we need to remember what Beatitudes are and what the entire Sermon of the Mount really is about. Uh, Jesus is instructing believers how the kingdom of God is supposed to operate and does operate uh, in the world in which we live. And uh, the Lord's Prayer states, that we are to be praying that God's uh, will would function on the earth as it does in heaven. And obviously, um, the kingdom uh, of God exists, the kingdom of God is there, and we pray that the kingdom of God would function and work on earth as it does in heaven. But we all know that that's not exactly the case right now. There's a lot of conflict and there's a lot of things that go on that uh, do not represent the kingdom of God. So Jesus is instructing uh, believers on how to function as citizens of the kingdom of God on this earth, uh, even though uh, we continue to anticipate and wait for the coming of the Lord so that God's kingdom of heaven will operate on earth as it does in heaven. So we are uh, studying Beatitude number two today. We uh, it is found in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 4. So that's going to be coming up on the screen. It's just one verse, and it's very short. And it says this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, the Beatitudes are like the book of Proverbs. Uh, they're very short statements. Uh, they, are, they are very uh, specific and precise statements, and they're designed to be able to be remembered. Like a proverb, a proverb was written to give God's wisdom on various subjects, and uh, they were intended to be easily memorized so that they could be remembered when a, a, a believer uh, would need that encouragement and need that instruction in making a decision in life. Well, the Beatitudes are just like that. They are New Testament-style proverbs, short statements, short verses that can be easily remembered. And so today, uh, we are talking about the, the, uh, the blessedness of those who mourn. We need to remember that the form of the Beatitudes, all of them begin and have essentially the same form. It talks about uh, that we are blessed. And most of us have heard from time to time that when the, the Bible uses the word blessed, it means happy. And it certainly means that. It certainly means uh, joyful and the emotion of happiness and the emotion of gladness. But it's much more than that. Uh, blessedness is the um, the joy and happiness and, and a sense of well-being that is not 
dependent upon circumstances. It is unchangeable. So when we're talking about the Beatitudes and we're talking about the word blessed, uh, it, is, it, is a, it is more than just the emotion of happiness because happiness by definition is uh, good feelings and pleasant feelings based on circumstances. But blessedness are good feelings and joyful feelings that are not based on circumstances. They are unchangeable and they're going to be present regardless of the circumstances. Now this particular beatitude uh, deals with a, an experience that is not particularly pleasant. And so if we're talking about being blessed uh, and, or blessed, uh, happy, joyful, content, those kinds of things, regardless of the circumstance, this one deals with a circumstance that is not very pleasant. It deals with mourning. And so what is the meaning of the statement, blessed are those who mourn? The, the word mourn there is the, the strongest word for grieving or mourning that is in the Greek language. It is an incredibly strong and powerful word. It is an unbearable lament for a loved one who has died. And it is a, it's, it's not just a, a passing, well, I'm, I'm sad about this. It is a deep, uh, wrenching, um, mournful experience, not a very pleasant thing. And so this beatitude starts off with that we are we, we have the bliss, we have the joy, we have the happiness, we have the, 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 com the, the, the comfort of in our life that we are blessed when we mourn. So how is this possible? Uh, that's, that's what we're going to be looking at today because it is, a, it is a statement of bliss, it is a statement of happiness in a very difficult and very painful type of experience. So who are those that mourn? That's the, that's the question that we're going to be looking at today. Who are those that mourn? There are several ways to look at this and, the, and several applications that we're going to draw from it. Uh, the first one is that the, those who mourn are those who have endured the bitter sorrow life can bring. Those who have, en those who have endured the bitterest sorrow that life can bring. The, uh, when, when, when we are dealing with sorrow, okay, we are dealing with uh, the emotion, sorrow is an emotion, grief is an emotion, it's an emotion of loss. Uh, we are going to feel the emotion of sorrow, of mourning, when something that we value, someone who we love, has been lost. The emotion of sorrow, the emotion of mourning is an automatic response to the thoughts or the, 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 the realities of loss. When we endure bitter loss, it allows us to experience great kindness from others. That's one way that we can be blessed by that. Uh, when people lose a loved one, folks show up and they, and they begin to, to um, encourage or to just, just, just to be there. I tell, I tell uh, folks who are uh, ministering to people with loss, uh, because they, they always ask me, well, well what do you say? when somebody has had a tremendous loss and the answer to that is well nothing really you, you don't you don't need to say a whole lot uh, you, and you certainly don't need to say things that are trite and certain that, that are you know like well he's not suffering anymore or 
well, you know he or she is in a better place. You know, th you know those kinds of statements don't do a whole lot of good because the person is 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 grieving, um, and, and and sometimes they'll they'll even you know I know how you're feeling. Well, you may have experienced grief and sorrow, but you don't know you know exactly what their feeling is. So sometimes the things that we say trying to help others has very little little impact. We need to be careful about what we say. But most of the time, I tell people that what people need most when they're experiencing this, this crushing loss, crushing uh, uh, mourning, is that they just need people to be there. And, and we can, it is a blessing to simply be there and allow them to have the emotions that they're having. To, because they're, much of the time, they're not gonna remember anything that you say. Whether it's effective or ineffective, they're not gonna remember anything you say. Uh, but they will remember that you were there. So it allows us to experience great kindness from others. Um, it allows us to experience comfort from God uh, because in times of great mourning, uh, the comfort that God gives us is, is uh, really what we need the most. We'll talk about that a little more in a, in a little while. Uh, it, it, it allows us to experience the kind of strength and the kinds of, of uh, insight that can grow out of, only grow out of the kind of experiences of, of loss. So those who mourn are those who have endured the, the, uh, the bitterest sorrow that life can bring. Uh, the second point is that those who mourn also are those who uh, care intensely about the suffering of others. Um, now here's where the helper comes in. The, the caring intensely about the suffering of others. Um, we're, when, when, we, when we deal with loss in, in, in the lives of people, Christians have a particular heart to help and to come together to alleviate the suffering of other people. And so those who mourn are those who have an intense uh, ability, a, 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 an intense caring for those who are experiencing great loss. The third thing we need to remember is that the application for this particular beatitude is that uh, those who mourn are those who desperately grieve over their own sin. Now this is probably the most uh, intended meaning of the this beatitude that, that, that Jesus was, was teaching. Um, because this is the, 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 the idea that, that uh, a person who is a Christian who is under conviction of sin is what do they feel when uh, we realize that we have sinned? It, we live in a we live in a world and, and we live live in a day when when personal conviction and 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 uh, having emotion about failing uh, morally and failing uh, God's standards, uh, people show very little care about that. They show very little concern about that. Uh, it's it's almost as if our consciences have been dulled. Now children. When they're caught in with their hand in the cookie jar, and 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 you know you they they, they will naturally uh, tend to 
have remorse. Now, a child has to be taught that that remorse has to be more than just I'm sad because I got caught. Uh, we parents do try to teach their children that they, they, they get in a fight, you know, and, and little brother hits little sister. So what does mama say? Tell her that you're sorry, right? Well, the, the, the attempt there is to teach the child that, you, that there is sorrow, there's mourning, there's grief for the pain that they've inflicted on their sister. That's the intent. However, a lot of times, what is the response of the child? I'm sorry. And it, you, you, pretty obviously, they didn't really mean it. They're, they're more sorry that they're getting in, in trouble for, for doing it. So it's, not, it's human nature not to mourn because of my own personal sin. And yet this beatitude, probably the, the most immediate or the, the, the most uh, meaningful application of this is that, is that if I'm mourning over my own personal sinfulness, then I am going to be comforted. The Bible talks about the need for, uh, for grieving over our sin. Most of the time, people measure their amount of displeasure or their amount of discomfort over their own personal sin by the emotion of guilt uh, that, 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 they, that they feel. Uh, I've dealt with uh, believers and non-believers and people who have had failures in their life for over 40 years. And so I'm very familiar with people's dealing with, with guilt feelings. Uh, I've come to believe that really, when you get right down to it, guilt feelings by and large uh, are self-imposed. Uh, they, are, they are negative feelings of punishment, of condemnation uh, for something that I did or that I shouldn't have done. And people will impose upon themselves guilt, uh, which is a way of uh, punishing themselves for the sin before God gets around to doing it. And that is a that is a an emotion that that, that I, I've instructed people who who deal with, with guilt feelings. I try to to show them that guilt feelings primarily are your own attempts to to atone and make up for or punish yourself for your sin. Uh, and, and when you're doing that, it doesn't work very well. It, 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 it's, it's, it's a very ineffective way because the Bible doesn't tell us to feel guilty for our sins. The Bible tells us to grieve our sins. The, uh, James 4 specifically says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will, he, he will flee from you. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to sorrow and your joy to gloom. James 4, 7 through 8. Nowhere in that process are we talking about uh, failing God's law, sinning against God. Uh, we're talking about dealing with temptation, and when, we, and when we succumb to temptation, we are to repent of that, recognize, admit that what we have done is wrong, and the emotion that is associated with sin is not guilt. The emotion is grief. Because James says specifically, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to sorrow and your joy to gloom. When that is the response to personal sin, now there is true, a, a, a biblical response to conviction. Now, I'm not saying that you're never going to feel guilty and that sometimes guilt uh, is, you know, is a legitimate emotion to sin. I'm saying is that if, if guilt is what I'm using without recognizing the severity 
and the and the mourning and the wailing of failing God as as the motive for it, then it's a false guilt. It is a self-imposed emotion. And what I'm doing when I'm doing that is that I'm punishing myself emotionally before before God gets around to doing it. And that is a that is a misunderstanding of the of the of the uh, response that, that God wants us to have for our sins. God doesn't play with our sin. He doesn't wink at it. He doesn't say, oh, that's okay. You're, you didn't know any better. He doesn't play the big papa and grandpa in the sky who, 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 who just sort of passes it off, pats you on the head, and says, try better and try harder next time. God doesn't laugh or wink at our sins, and we certainly should not either. And so when we are Blessed are the more. Uh, blessed are those who mourn. Means also that we are mourning. We are grieving over our own failure of God. It brings up the question: What does God feel when we sin? Have you ever thought about that? We say, "Well, God feels anger." Well, there, there, yeah, I mean, it's clear in the Bible that God has responded to the sins of individuals and the sins of nations and the sins of cultures uh, with anger. But, but what what is the first emotion? that God feels when there is sin and there is a rejection of Him. Uh, Ephesians 4 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. I believe the first emotion that God feels when His children sin is grief. And that the the, the emotions of anger or wrath or those kinds of things uh, could come along later, especially against those who are not believers. But when His children sin, when His own people that have been bought by the blood of His Son sin, the first emotion is a, is a grieving emotion on, on the part of God. The scripture clearly says so, Ephesians 4.17. And so we're, we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We're to, to experience grief when, when that happens. So if we are going to be blessed of God and we're going to mourn our personal sin, mourn the fact that we have experienced something of bitterest loss, mourn that we are experiencing these, the, the, these difficult and horrible feelings of grief, what do we need most when we're hurt like that? The Beatitude says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I've done a lot of funerals in 40 plus years of ministry. I often use uh, the passage in... Uh, uh, 2 Thessalonians 4 as a as a funeral sermon. And I started out by saying, not reading 1 Thessalonians 4, but 1 Peter 2.9, where it says that Christians are a peculiar people. Now, I realize that the word peculiar there literally means that it is a special people set apart for God's purposes. I understand that. And that's what the word literally means. But I like the the, the more popular English rendering of the word peculiar. Because what does it mean to you when you hear the word peculiar? All right, It means that something is odd. <laughs> something is out of the ordinary. And so I, I, I prefer to, to also use the application of that verse that, that, that we are a peculiar people because Christians are kind of odd when it comes to how we respond to grief and sin and the difficult things of life. Um, and and the, the world looks at us and you know says you know you know how can you do that you know we you know we're 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 told to when when we're hurt we're told to turn the other cheek and we're 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 told to uh, uh, 
to not to give evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. And we're told to not seek vengeance, uh, but uh, uh, vengeance belongs to God. All of those things are responses that the world doesn't understand because and, and Christians are instructed to practice. And when we do, we are looked at as being a bit peculiar. But comfort is what we need. In 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter uh, 4, that, the context there is the death of believers. And uh, Paul gives a lot of theology. He, gives, you know, he talks about that the death of believers is a very real thing and that we're not to grieve as, as the lost people do who have no hope. And he talks about uh, the resurrection of the dead and that we will see our loved ones again. And he talks about the coming of the Lord and where we will all be gathered together. He talks a lot about, the, about what Christians believe and what the Bible teaches about the, uh, the issue of losing someone that we love to death. But the very last verse of that context where he's giving all of this instruction, all of this theology, all of this reinforcement of what, of what we believe as Christians, it says, in light of everything I've just said, comfort one another with these things. So what is needed most when we have suffered these kinds of losses and the mourning is, is, is distressful and it's the most deeply rooted, deeply held losses and, and, and emotions of grief that we could possibly have, the thing that is needed absolutely the most is comfort. Comfort that can only come from God. Comfort that can be also given by others. Comfort that we can have by the Spirit of God teaching us some things about what is going on with this loss. But it is, it is comfort. So the meaning then of the second beatitude, if we're going to amplify the meaning of that, it becomes, Oh, the bliss of the man who is heartbroken because of the sufferings of his life and for his own sin, for out of his sorrow he will find comfort and joy that only God can give. And that's the meaning of the second beatitude. Hope that you're going to have a good, uh, good week. Spend some time in prayer with your family, and we'll see you next time. Talk to you later. Goodbye.